How do you like your water? You like it straight out of the tap or purified in a plastic bottle? Do you like it crashing toward you in the form of a wave at the beach? How do you like your water? Do you like lots of ice in your drink to keep it cold? Some of you know that I don't. Maybe you enjoy the thought of gliding on an ice rink or a frozen pond. How do you like your water? Do you like it in the form of steam? Maybe you've held a towel over your head over a boiling pot of water to clear out the congestion. Or maybe you just love your sauna. You love that cleansing feeling. How do you like your Christ? Like the chemical H2O, Christ doesn't come in just one form. He's not even limited to three forms like liquid, solid, and gas. In today's gospel passage, we see Christ in many forms. As we look at these, see which ones draw you closer to Christ and which ones make you less comfortable. And examine then where your growing edge might be in getting to know a different side of Christ. Matthew 25, 31 starts in the courtroom. Though we now spend plenty of time judging others, here we're on the other side of the bar. The timing of this is what scholars call the eschaton, the last days. We all stand as Christ the judge enters the courtroom and sits on the throne of his glory. How do you feel on the other side of the bar? Years ago, the University of Michigan football team checked into their hotel rooms the night before a big game with Ohio State University. The Michigan coach, as probably every coach does, the night before the big game, had given clear instructions that his players were to get what? A good night's sleep. They were not to leave their rooms. Okay, foreshadowing already. One rebellious lineman wanted to get out and see the city of Columbus by night. And so he took a floor lamp and laid it on the bed, brought the covers over top, and took off. Now the coach, later on that evening, was doing a bed check. And he would go around to all the players' rooms. This is when I guess they could actually have a key. And he would open the door and hit the light switch. So arriving in the lineman's room, you're getting it, he turned on the light. Well, the covers were still covering the floor lamp, and the player had not unplugged the lamp. (laughs) So the coach hits the switch, and the lamp sheds light on the lineman's deception. Do you ever wonder whether Christ is keeping tabs on us like that? Like a warden watching over Martha Stewart wearing her ankle bracelet in home confinement? Are all our actions being recorded on some great hard drive so that when we're brought before Christ as judge, he has our Santa Claus list of naughty and nice 
with the longer one determining whether we go with the sheep on his right hand or the goats on his left? James Denny interprets Judgment Day soberly. He says, and this was probably early 1900s, so that gives you a sense of where he's coming from. It's Christians only who are in view here. All that we have hidden shall be revealed. The things we have done in the body will come back to us, whether good or bad. Every pious thought and every thought of sin. Every secret prayer and every secret curse. Every unknown deed of charity and every hidden deed of selfishness. We will see them all again, and though we have not remembered them for years and perhaps have forgotten them altogether, we shall have to acknowledge that they are our own. Is not that a solemn thing to stand at the end of life? Well, I have to admit, I'm really hoping for a degree of mercy. You know, we're imperfect, and God created us this way. Someone said, a nice thing about being imperfect is the joy it brings to others. I like that. You know, the best we can do is the best we can do. And I can't imagine God as a loving parent being anxious to cast us into eternal punishment. So are we doing our best? Christ as judge. Christ as shepherd. The sheep and shepherd images appear often in scripture because they were so common in biblical times. Everyone knew at the time that sheep weren't all that intelligent and they tended to wander off when they were grazing. And Christ appears as a shepherd concerned not just for the individual sheep and bringing them back to the flock, but caring for the flock as a whole. As we Christians are the body of Christ, we are not only sheep, but shepherd. Our devotion to Christ is what prompts us toward seeing Christ in others. And that's where our story goes next. Both the sheep and the goats are surprised and ask Jesus for clarification. Jesus says to the sheep, Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. The sheep, astonished, cock their heads and look at Jesus and say, When did we do all that? And you heard, as you heard, the shepherd judge says, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. A story has circulated for years. It's called The Rabbi's Gift. If you have heard it before, I hope you'll hear it again in in this um, context of Jesus, uh, of seeing Jesus in others. The story concerns a monastery that has fallen on hard times. 
It was a, once a great order, but because of persecution, all its branch houses were lost, and there were five monks left in the one decaying house, the abbot and four others, all of them beyond retirement age. In the deep woods surrounding the monastery, there was a little hut, and a rabbi would come to that hut every now and then to get away to pray. And the old monks had gotten to the point where they could sort of sense when the rabbi was in the woods in his hermitage. They would whisper, the rabbi is in the woods. The rabbi is in the woods. Well, it occurred to the abbot that he might make a visit to the rabbi this particular time when he was there in the hermitage and see if the rabbi had some advice that might help him save his monastery. Well, the rabbi welcomed him to the hut. And when the abbot explained why he was there, the rabbi said, I know how it is. The spirit has gone out of the people. It is the same in my town. Almost no one comes to the synagogue anymore. So the old abbot and the rabbi cried together. They read together parts of the Torah and spoke of their anguish, their sadness. And when the abbot had to leave, they embraced each other. And the abbot said, it's been wonderful that we should meet after all these years, but I failed in my purpose for coming here. I came to ask if you had any advice for me, if you had any suggestion that might help me help the monastery. And the rabbi answered, No, I I really don't have any advice for you, but I will tell you this. The Messiah is one of you. Well, the abbot returned to the monastery, and as his fellow monks gathered around him and asked, what did the rabbi say? He said, he said something very mysterious. He said that the Messiah is one of us. I'm not really sure what he meant. Well, in the time that followed, the old monks wondered whether the wondered about the significance of the rabbi's words. The Messiah is one of us. Could he have possibly meant one of us monks? If so, which one? Do you suppose he meant the abbot? Yes, if he meant anyone, he probably meant Father Abbot. He's been our leader for more than a generation. On the other hand, he might have meant Brother Thomas, because Thomas is a holy man. He's a man of light. He could not have meant Brother Allred. Allred gets crotchety at times, but come to think of it, even though he's a thorn in people's sides, when you look back on it, he's almost always right. Maybe it was Brother Philip. But Philip is so passive, not much of anyone really. And yet he always has a gift for being there right when you need him. Maybe Philip is the Messiah. And of course the rabbi didn't mean me. He couldn't possibly have meant me. I'm just an ordinary person. 
But supposing he did. Suppose I am the Messiah. Oh, God, not me. I couldn't be that much for you, could I? Well, as they went through their days contemplating these things about each other, they began to treat each other with extraordinary respect on the chance that one among them may be the Messiah. And they began to treat themselves with deeper respect. Now, at this monastery, people still occasionally came to visit it in its beautiful forest, and they would picnic on the lawn, wander its paths, maybe meditate in the dilapidated chapel. As they did so, as people began coming back, they sensed the aura of extraordinary respect that began to surround the five old monks and seemed to radiate out from them and even permeate the atmosphere of the place. There was something strangely compelling about it. Hardly knowing why, they began to come back to the monastery to picnic, to play, to pray. They brought friends to this special place, and their friends brought friends. And then some of the younger men who came to visit the monastery started to talk more and more with the older monks. And after a while, one asked if he could join their order. And then another did, and another. So within a few years, the monastery had once, bec- once again become a thriving order. And thanks to the rabbi's gift, a vibrant center of light and hope in that realm. What does Jesus mean? The Messiah is among you. The Messiah is one of you. Not just anyone could be Christ. Everyone could be Christ. When we treat each other as such, we show our love and devotion for Christ. One Bible footnote says, It is discipleship behavior not status, race, or nationality that makes one acceptable in God's sight. So how do you like your Christ? Judge? Shepherd? King? As a needy person walking down the sidewalk? To which are you drawn? Which one would you like to avoid? It may be that one that we should pray to love more. We will conclude the sermon with the Lord's Prayer. And I'd like for us to pay particular attention to two lines. One of them is, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And the other one is, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. For we celebrate today not only the acceptance and forgiveness of Christ, but also the kingship of Christ. This prayer unites all Christians around the world and reminds us that we are here as caretakers of each other, caretakers of the human race, until Christ tells us otherwise. Let us pray together the prayer that Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.